Great to see you all this morning. Uh, praise God for some actual rain that's falling outside. We really need it. Um, and, but may God really pour into our hearts to, this morning in, in any places where we, we might feel dry and, and barren as well. But I'm Paul. For those of you I haven't met, I'm excited to see a lot of you here today. Excited to see those of you who are new or visiting with us. And I'm also very excited to see our friend Dave Hartman back. He's hanging out, hanging out in the back where it's a little less hot. But uh, David hasn't been able to be with us since Easter Sunday as he's been receiving cancer treatment. But it's a testimony to God's healing power that he is here back with us as, long as, as well as Donna, his wife, who is back on the worship team singing with us. So very thankful to see you both today. I have actually gotten to see Dave this summer, though, because he's been a faithful supporter of the Journey Men's softball team that... Uh, plays on Monday nights. You're welcome to come out as well Monday nights in Oxford. Now, we've, we've had some tough losses, but thankfully for us, everybody makes the playoffs in August, so we, we could still get hot, uh, but at the very least, I think we're growing in understanding the fruit of the Spirit. We're growing in, in patience, for example, and self-control, and joy in the face of defeat. Um, <laughs> So I think we're really learning what we're talking about this summer. And we are now halfway through a series on the fruit of the Spirit. And so to, to get started, uh, I'd love to have us read together kind of our theme verse out of Galatians 5. Read with me. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All of these together are the fruit of the Spirit's work in our lives, of the Spirit transforming the life of a Christian. All of these taken together are the fruit of the Spirit. So earlier we sang, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Let us experience the glory of your goodness. We want the Holy Spirit to be at work in our lives. Well, how do we know if that's actually happening? One really good indicator is to look for evidence of, of this fruit in our lives, where the Holy Spirit is moving, where we are giving way to the Holy Spirit's power and work in our lives, you will see this kind of fruit take shape in our lives and in our community more and more. We'll see greater love, greater joy, and so on. And today we're talking about the fifth flavor of the fruit of the Spirit, which is kindness. Kindness is one of these things which ought to be a marker that characterizes the life of someone who knows God. Kindness. Uh, it ought to characterize our lives. Now, back when my wife Liz and I were in campus ministry at Boston University, one thing that we used to do would be to go around the student union and do these spiritual surveys uh, just as a way of striking up faith conversations with, with students. And we'd ask questions like, what's your spiritual background? Uh, or if you could ask God any one question, what would you ask him? Uh, and one question we would always ask students is, well, what's your impression of Christians? either that you know or that you've seen. What's your, what's your impression of Christians? And we get a lot of different answers. Uh, every now and then, we would get, we'd get a bit of an earful about how Christians were actually mean and judgmental, even hateful people. And we'd dig a little deeper, and, and occasionally those are actually unfair accusations, but unfortunately, in many cases, it was because people had actually seen and met Christians who were mean, who had said, or done hurtful and demeaning things to them. Or they'd see it in the public sphere. I mean, just as a country as a whole right now, I'd say our ability to dialogue with one another about controversial and sensitive topics is drastically broken. 
uh, all across the board. But unfortunately, a lot of the most uh, hateful and mean and demeaning and bigoted things that are said in the, in the public space these days are said by people who at the same time claim to represent Christ. And there's something wrong there. You know, for Christians to be without kindness is kind of like our tomato plants at this point in the year not producing any tomatoes. Like you would look and think, well, there's something wrong because it's just not producing the type of fruit that's meant to produce. The fruit of the Spirit is kindness. And unfortunately, in the eyes of some outside the church, Christians are actually unkind and mean, and, and people aren't crazy for thinking that based on what they've seen and heard. There is a other more common answer we'd actually get, though, when we would do these surveys and ask, what's your impression of Christians? And a lot of students would actually say something like, yeah, they're, they're nice. Like, whatever. Yeah, they're, they're pretty nice. So in that case, we're actually known for being kind, but kind in a way that was not at all interesting or compelling or that would make anyone interested in Jesus. Just like, yeah, they're nice. Whatever. Yeah, a lot of people are nice. I guess they're nice too. And, and I've been in a number of conversations where people will say, yeah, I mean, I try my best to be a kind person and, and to not treat others badly. And, you know, if Jesus helps you do that, that's good for you, great. But I don't really see why I need Jesus to be, to be kind. I just kind of do my best. And uh, un- that sort of thinking has also worked its way into a number of streams of the church and Christian thinking where we, we do talk about Jesus, but still the underlying message is, is something like, well, just do your best to be kind. Do your best to treat one another as you would like to be treated. And it still comes down to us doing our best. And either implicitly or, Im- or explicitly, Jesus is reduced to just a really good example or a really good teacher. You know, he came and he showed us how to be kind. He treated people kindly and he taught us to be kind. And so if we could just better follow Jesus' example and follow Jesus' teaching, you know, we'd all be a little kinder and the world would be a kinder place. Maybe. But we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit this morning, and the fruit of the Spirit is actually something entirely different. Because the fruit of the Spirit is not ultimately a matter of our own efforts or of doing our best. It's a matter of being transformed by Jesus. It's It's not a matter of imitating Jesus. It's a matter of being radically altered by Jesus. And the goal is not that we just end up being a little nicer, a little kinder people. The goal is that we would end up being transformed people. And so to unpack what fruit of the Spirit kindness looks like, I'd love for you to turn with me to Luke 10. This is going to be our main passage for today, Luke 10, 25 to 37, where Jesus has an interaction and he tells a story that's come to be known as the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, even a lot of people in our culture who've never read the Bible before have heard of a Good Samaritan, have heard the term Samaritan. It, there's a lot of charities, hospitals and the like named after the Samaritans. And Samaritan has come to be kind of like a, a code, a term for someone who does good, kind of a do-gooder, a charitable person, someone who, who does nice things for other people. But I hope as we, as we look at this interaction and what Jesus actually says, we'll catch the full weight of just how radical a parable this is that he tells. This is not just an Aesop's fable with a nice moral at the end to teach us to be a little kinder. This is a call to a radical, revolutionary, earth-shaking, never-before-heard-of, extravagant kindness. So let's look together, Luke 10, starting in verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, 
What must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This is the word of God. So I just want to look at four marks of kindness that we can see from this passage and from this parable that Jesus told. So we'll just go through them. You can follow along on your, on your handout on the slides. The first is that kindness, that is the fruit of the Spirit, kindness is actionable. Kindness is actionable. It goes beyond ideas and it goes beyond feelings. I guess they're all up there, but we'll, we'll unfold. <laughs> but first, kindness is actionable. Beyond the realm of ideas. So the, Jesus is having an interaction here with a teacher of the law who is basically like a, a professor of the Bible, a professor of biblical studies. And he comes to Jesus with an academic question, and he tries to keep it on the realm of ideas and, and theory. Like, well, what is the most important commandment? And well, who, who is my neighbor, really? And Jesus takes this question out of the realm of the theoretical and into the realm of real-life action. Jesus says, go and do. He doesn't talk about kindness as an idea. He talks about practicing kindness in real time. Kindness ultimately isn't a matter of knowing the right answers, but of doing the right actions. And it goes, so it goes beyond ideas. It also goes beyond feelings of kindness. So in the story, we have a, a priest and a Levite, both Jewish religious leaders at the time, and the text tells us they saw the man lying on the road. Now, maybe when they saw a beaten man lying there half dead, maybe they felt bad. But we don't really know. Some commentators will try to get inside the head of the priest and Levite and, and speculate as to what they were thinking and feeling as they saw this person that would cause them to pass by. But the text is actually silent about what they were feeling because ultimately, I think, it really doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all what they were thinking and what they were feeling as they went by. What mattered was their actions, which was to pass on by. Unlike the Samaritan who also saw the man, we're told, but was moved with pity, and moved with pity meant responding with kindness in action, not just kind feelings. Now, working in the university world like I do, I meet a lot of people who, who are aware of great 
horror and suffering and injustice and pain in the world, and they feel really upset about it. And they have lots of great ideas and conversations about what would, what would really fix the problems, what would make for real change. But if it stops there, that's not actual kindness. Because kindness is love that is always expressed in action. When I think of actual kindness, the fruit of the Spirit, I think about my in-laws, Liz's parents. They actually came to a living faith in Jesus later on in their 30s, and, and as they then had the Spirit involved in their life and transforming their life and making them more and more like Jesus, one of the ways that played out was they began to do foster care, to take foster children into their home. And now, 30 years later, they're still doing it, and by now they've taken in over 100 different children into their home. And they have loved them and shown them kindness in some of the most tangible and practical ways that you can imagine. Meal after meal, cleaning up, rides to practice, late nights doing homework together, changing hundreds if not thousands of bedwetted sheets, and advocating for these kids through the, the bureaucracy and the red tape of the, the child welfare system. They're showing actual kindness. And most of this, in their case, has been across cultural and racial lines as well. In fact, just this summer, they've also taken in two young men from Burundi who are essentially refugees. There's a on the verge of civil war in that country right now, and they can't go back, and so they need a place to stay. And it's just kind of natural for my in-laws to say, oh, we'll take them. So they're living with them now, too, in addition to the foster kids that they already have. Now, I know plenty of people who've read all the right books, they know all the right answers, all the right theories when it comes to race relations and reconciliation. They know about the, how to process international conflict. They've written papers about it. And they can break down the, the sociology of systemic issues of child welfare and all these things probably more articulately than my in-laws can do, but have never actually opened their home, have never actually shared their Thanksgiving table, and have never actually been family to people who are different from them. And so I would ask, which of these do you think is a neighbor? It's obviously the ones who are practicing actual, real kindness. Because kindness is not just a matter of right ideas or right feelings, it's a matter of right actions. So the second mark of kindness we see in this parable is that kindness is sacrificial. It comes at great personal cost to ourselves when we practice this kind of kindness. The Samaritan in this story gives and his kind and sacrificial ways that cost him. First, he puts himself in harm's way. So this man lying on the side of the road, he's been beaten and robbed and left for dead. So this is obviously a potentially dangerous place to stop and to be. But he takes the risk. He puts himself in harm's way to practice kindness. Second, he allows himself to be interrupted. So the Samaritan was traveling on a road. He was going somewhere. He allows his plans to be interrupted. He allows his own personal agenda to be sidetracked and put on hold for the sake of another. It's sacrificial. It's costly. And then he gives sacrificially of his own resources. We're told he bandages the man's wounds. He pours oil and wine on them. This man was robbed of everything and left naked, so he didn't have anything on him. And it's not like there were any wine and oil stores just sitting on the side of the road. This Samaritan dug into his own personal resources, the things he had with him for his own, to provide for his own needs, and poured them out in caring for another. 
He gave sacrificially of his own resources. Whatever that oil and wine was going to be used for, it took a change in direction, and he gave it for another. And he gave some money, so he gives two denarii to the innkeeper, and then he essentially writes a blank check, says, I'm going to come back and I'll reimburse you for whatever this ends up costing. So sacrificial, generous giving of his financial resources as well. And the Samaritan is committed to this man's whole restoration, his complete restoration. He cares for him in very tangible and holistic ways. He's concerned for his long-term and whole restoration. He actually sees the limits of what he himself can do, and so then he connects this man to other resources that he needs, connects him to this inn, this innkeeper, to get the help he needs. He doesn't just stop at what he's personally able to do. But then he promises to come back and to invest and make sure that this man's full recovery is underway. So, costly, puts himself in harm's way, he's interrupted, he gives sacrificially of his own resources and is committed to the long haul of this man's recovery. That's sacrificial, costly kindness. What this is not is random acts of kindness that we're so often encouraged. Just practice random acts of kindness, whatever that is. These are intentional, deliberate, sacrificial acts of kindness. And they come at a cost. And that's the fruit of the Spirit. There's plenty of ways to be kind to other people that are, that are nice and, but are actually rather easy. You know, hold the door for somebody, uh, refrain from making fun of someone who's in a vulnerable position, give a little extra to charity once all the things you want are, are taken care of. That's kind and, and that's easy. But fruit of the Spirit, kindness, is costly. It's sacrificial. It will produce kindness in us that is risky, that makes us willing to step into harm's way, that makes us willing to be interrupted, and that makes us willing to give sacrificially out of our own resources and to invest in people for the long haul, not just give a quick handout. Sacrificial kindness is not the kind of kindness that people will be able to look at and say, oh yeah, they're nice. Because it's not normal to be sacrificial. It's not normal to put others first. And that is the kindness that is the fruit of the Spirit. Third mark of kindness we see in this passage is that it is far-reaching. Jesus in this parable expands our definition of who our neighbor is. He's asked, who is my neighbor? And Jesus' choice of a Samaritan as the hero of this story was a bold choice, and it would have both been shocking and actually offensive to his listeners. When Jesus said Samaritan, he wasn't talking about our 21st century definition of kind of a nice do-gooder charitable person. He meant a person who was part of this actual tribe called the Samaritans, who were the people that his Jewish listeners would have hated, possibly more than anyone else in the whole world. I won't get into all the historical background behind this, but by, the, by Jesus' time, Jews and Samaritans had centuries of built-up animosity between them couldn't stand each other. They were literally next-door neighbors. They shared some common ancestry and even some common religious background, but there were profound differences that led to deep conflict. And, you know, sometimes the hardest people to love are not the, the stranger far off that's anonymous somewhere, but the person who's right up in our space that we just can't stand. And these are the Samaritans to the Jews. There was a deep, centuries-long history of conflict The Jews had their temple in Jerusalem, and the Samaritans built their own temple to worship in a different place. 
And the Jewish, Jewish religious leaders taught their people the Samaritans were, were godless and heretical and evil people. And the Samaritan religious leaders taught their people that the Jews were godless and heretical and evil people. And at a certain point, they just cut off contact with each other altogether, even though they were right next door. They had nothing to do with each other. They avoided each other at all costs, except they would occasionally come together when there was an act of violence or terror or a sort of guerrilla warfare of one group against the other. So this is the hostility that Jesus is talking about here and talking into. After a while, it wasn't even about the original conflict anymore, but just a, a, deep, a deep hostility between people where each group would look at the other and say, those people are evil, those people are dangerous, those people are dirty, those people are different, those people are to be avoided, those people hate us, and we want nothing to do with them. And there's plenty of actual tension and conflict between different people groups like that in our world now. And this was a real one then that is just as real as anything now. And Jesus describes a story of a Jewish man who receives costly, sacrificial kindness from a Samaritan. The Samaritan is the hero. And then he asks the guy, well, which of these do you think was a neighbor? And, and the teacher of the law can't even bring himself to say Samaritan. He just can't, can't even say it. Instead, he says, the one who showed him mercy. He just can't even say it. Now, we all have some level of natural kindness towards some people, but if you push hard enough, we all have our limits too. We all have our limits, and Jesus, through the Spirit at work in us, will always push against our limits of who we want to show kindness to. He will always extend our kindness beyond the natural boundaries of who we like, who we want to be kind to. He leads us to be kind to those we don't like, to those we've been taught to avoid, to those who are different from us, to those we're afraid of, to those we disagree with, even to our actual enemies. Jesus always expands our definition of neighbor. Now, that does not mean that we just let go of our principles and we... And we have to, to be kind to someone, we have to agree with everything that they do and say. There's actually a huge lie and misconception in our culture today that basically says, well, if you disagree with me, then you hate me. Like, you're disagreeing with what I do and what I say is an act of hatred. And that's really not true at all. And a lot of Christians will rightfully push back against that and say, no, I can disagree with you and still love you at the same time. But I see too many Christians who honestly apply that very same logic when they're afraid to show kindness to someone out of fear that it might look like they're condoning or approving of a person's actions or beliefs. And so we withhold kindness. And it's really the same logic that kindness equals approval and, and dis disagreement equals hate. It's the same logic and it's a worldly logic. It is not a Christian logic. Jesus never approved of sin, and he never did sin, and he never condoned sin, but what was he known as? He's a friend of sinners. And the fruit of the Spirit needs to produce a kindness in us that cuts through this logic and offers the world something different. And I think we can do that as we're truly kind, sacrificially kind, generously kind to those we disagree with. Because who else really does that? Honestly, can you imagine at either of the conventions the last couple of weeks if someone stood up and expressed their convictions in a gentle and kind way and then advocated a platform of radical, sacrificial kindness towards those in the other party? 
they would get booed off the stage and almost certainly never invited back. Because that's just not how we do things, right? Well, actually, by the Spirit, it is how we do things. Jesus expands our definition of neighbor. And we can really show the world what Jesus is like by offering radical, sacrificial kindness, especially to those we disagree with. And this kind of leads into the fourth mark of kindness we see in this passage, which is that kindness, as Jesus defines it, is actually confrontational. Jesus tells a very confrontational parable here. He confronts this expert in the law and his friends with their own prejudices, with their own limits, and with their own lack of kindness. This kind of kindness is confrontational. I almost used the word violent, but I thought that just sounded too weird, like violent kindness. But I kind of mean it. This is the kind of kindness that tears down divisions and tears down strongholds and attacks the things that divide people. I actually saw the phrase in the writings of Archbishop Oscar Romero, who was a a bishop in El Salvador a number of years ago, and he used the phrase of violence of love. And he was living and serving in a context that was very violent, overtly violent. There was an oppressive military regime that was in charge of the country. The poor were oppressed and killed uh, and and would disappear uh, with no consequences. It was a very violent society. And the church, unfortunately, the state church, was really in cahoots with all this. And the poor were terribly oppressed and victims of terrible violence. And Archbishop Romero really embodied the kindness that is the fruit of the Spirit. And he practiced radical, sacrificial kindness to the poor in a way that was actually pretty dangerous. He would identify with the poor, live among the poor, serve the poor, care for the poor, and advocate for the poor, which was very kind, sure, but it was also very confrontational. It was a a confronting of the powers that be and the structures that were in place, and ultimately the powers that be ended up assassinating Archbishop Romero right in his own church. And I know that that's kind of an intense story But, look, kindness, as Jesus describes it, is not just a warm, fuzzy thing that makes everybody feel good all the time. It's actually rather confrontational. It tears down strongholds, it attacks strongholds, it attacks divisions between people, and confronts us with our own limits and our own prejudices. It's not all touchy-feely. You know, even orphan care, like what my in-laws practice, it's nice. People look at it like, oh, it's so nice, but it's actually an act of confrontation and violence. uh, Ethicist Russell Moore says that for Christians, orphan care is actually an act of spiritual warfare that tears down and attacks the principalities and the powers and the structures that seek to kill and destroy and rob the lives of children in our country and in our world. It's an act of warfare, not just charitable kindness. Kindness can be confrontational. And, frankly, practicing this kind of kindness can bring violence towards us as well. It can make people upset. It certainly did so for Jesus, for Archbishop Romero, for a number of others. And I'll be honest, you know, at this time in our country, if you practice and you promote radical, sacrificial kindness towards the brave men and women who serve our communities through law enforcement, and you practice and promote radical, sacrificial kindness towards black citizens who are expressing deep hurt and pain 
over how they're made to feel their lives count in this country, you're going to make someone mad. And not everyone is going to like or appreciate you for this. It's a confrontational kind of kindness, but it is the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is a kindness that is actionable, that's radically sacrificial and costly, and that expands our definition of neighbor. And then Jesus says all this, and he turns to the man and says, go and do likewise. Now, doesn't this just seem like Jesus being an ethical teacher and and giving you kind of a a moral to follow? Well, no, because a person who heard this in that setting and then heard Jesus say, go and do likewise, wouldn't have just said, oh, sure, okay, I'll do that. They would have said, no way. Nobody does that. Jesus wasn't telling a true story of a Samaritan who did this. He was... was making up a figure that didn't exist. There was no good Samaritan. There was no Samaritan who practiced this kind of radical, costly kindness to a Jew. This wasn't something that actually existed. And this was not an example to follow. This was not a new moral lesson to learn. This was a call to conversion and a call to be transformed by Jesus, who actually is the one who practiced this kind of sacrificial, costly kindness. This is the ultimate kindness that Jesus practiced. It was actionable, sacrificial, far-reaching, and confrontational. Just like last week, we learned about patience, and Liz said the moral here is not just be more patient, but to be transformed by the patience of God. It's the same thing here. I'm not telling you, oh, just try to be a little more kind. Make the world a kinder place. No, we need to be transformed and radically altered by an encounter with the ultimate kindness of Jesus Christ. So we're going to read a few scriptures together to spell this out. Jesus' kindness was all of these things. It was actionable. Let's read together from 1 John. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. See, God's kindness is not just a philosophical idea It's not just a construct that we can debate, and it's not just a warm, fuzzy feeling that God has towards us. God showed his kindness to us in Jesus Christ. It happened in real history, in real time and space. God sent his only son into our world to take on our human condition and to exhibit this radical kindness to us. He demonstrated it for us. God's kindness is actionable, and it has taken place in real time. God's kindness is also sacrificial. It's come at a great cost to Jesus. Let's read together from Philippians 2. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. God's kindness to to us came at great sacrificial cost to himself. He didn't just pour out oil and wine to heal our wounds. He poured out his own blood for our healing. It came at a great sacrificial cost to himself. God's kindness to us is far-reaching. You think the barrier between Jews and Samaritans or any other ethnic group is a serious thing. How about the barrier between a holy God and a sinful humanity? There's nothing like it 
and Jesus crossed that barrier. Let's read together from Romans 5. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This passage goes on to describe how it was while we were still God's enemies that he laid down his life for us. His kindness was far-reaching, further than any divide we can imagine. And he crossed that divide to show kindness to us. And finally, God's kindness is confrontational. We read together from Hebrews chapter 2. He too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Jesus' death was not just a kind, sacrificial act on our behalf, but it was a confrontational act that went toe-to-toe with all the powers of darkness and hell and evil and death in the world and triumphed over them for our sake. It was confrontational. He took on what held us in bondage and what held us in fear and what holds us in death, and he defeated our enemies so that we could live free and live forever. We were the person lying by the side of the road, beaten and naked, born into sin, born into a world where we bear the scars of other people's sin, where we're caught up in the divisions and the hostilities of our world, where we're subject to death and powerless to do anything about it. And Jesus poured out his blood, poured out his life, crossed the great divide to love us, to serve us, to cover our nakedness, to cover our shame, to free us and liberate us from the power and bondage of death and sin and defeat our ultimate enemy and tear down every principality that would seek to kill, steal, and destroy so that we could have life and have it abundantly. Amen. And so, that's kindness. That's the fruit of the Spirit. Christians ultimately are not any more kind by nature than any other people. Christians are people who've been radically transformed, who have encountered this kindness of Jesus Christ in our lives and who have been radically altered by it. We're fundamentally changed as we encounter the kindness of Jesus to be more sacrificial, more kind, more far-reaching in our actions and to confront the world's limitations and our own limitations as we do. I hope someday if we ever take a survey around here, around Worcester, about Christians, about the journey, or we just ask people who've encountered each of us in our various neighborhoods and workplaces, and we ask, well, what's your impression of Christians? I certainly hope that the answer isn't that they're mean, that they lack kindness. I don't think that's really our, our danger, but I also hope the answer isn't, yeah, they're nice, in a way that you can just shrug off and be totally disinterested in. I would love to see people know us for being kind in a way that people really just aren't kind. Kind in a way that's different. They say, wow, they, pra- they are radically caring and giving of themselves. They give in ways I don't see other people give. And man, I've, I, I just have to be curious about this Jesus they follow. So let's continue inviting the Holy Spirit here because that's really how it happens. 
not by trying harder and not by doing our best. Our best won't do that, but the Holy Spirit's best can. So we're going to respond in some worship, and I invite you to just bow your heads and join me in prayer. Jesus, we thank you for your kindness to us that I like my words can't even give it justice, Lord. That the God who created all things would come and to dwell among us and lay down his life for those who've rejected him, for those who've spurned him, for those who've walked away from him. Thank you that you've been committed to our full restoration in every way. You've covered our shame. You've paid the penalty for our guilt and you've defeated our enemies and you've defeated death. Lord, we pray that you would mark us by your kindness as a people. Each of us today, Lord, if there is a way that you're calling us to convert, calling us to change, calling us to receive your kindness and to exhibit into the world, Lord, would you have your way? We give way to your Holy Spirit, Lord, to produce the kind of fruit that you desire to see in us as a community and us as individuals. Would we be known, Lord, for a radical, costly, sacrificial kindness? That's not limited by the barriers and the limitations of the world around us, but transcends them with the gospel. Thank you, Lord. Help us to never reduce you to just a kind example, a kind teacher. Would you be our Lord, our Savior, and would you breathe new life into us that radiates your kindness and makes it known to a world that so desperately needs it? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.